Well, I'm excited to share God's word with you this morning. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and find that and turn to John chapter 3. We're going to look at that in just a minute together. But I love the way that the Bible uh, reinforces the idea that God interacts with everyday normal people. That's what you and I are, right? And, and all through the Bible, you see these divine interactions with just everyday people. And today we're going to look at one of those, a situation that happened uh, with a great leader. And we get like a front row seat to a conversation of a leader with his followers. And um, there's a lot of insights that we can draw from that. And that's relevant for us because, as I mentioned earlier when I prayed, we are about to begin searching for a great leader. All of us would agree that our next pastor, we want him to be a great leader. And so this morning, we're going to get a, like a, a, a kind of an inside look at what it looks like to be a leader. You know, what I love about this passage is that you see this leader using his influence in the life of the men that he influenced uh, for God. And honestly, that's how I would define a leader, someone who takes responsibility for their influence. I love to read biographies. I don't know if you're into that or not, but what I love about biographies is always a biography is written about, you don't write biographies about people who never did anything, right? They tend to be famous people or people who had a big impact on the world in some way. And what a biography helps you see is the private things that happen that you weren't aware of that ultimately led to the public displays of greatness in their life. And so this morning, this passage from John 3, verse 22, we're going to learn about uh, how John the Baptist leveraged a conversation with his closest followers. John was a unique guy, okay? If you don't know much about John the Baptist, his real name is John whatever. He's not, his last name wasn't the Baptist, okay? He's not part of a Baptist church. He, he didn't get the title because he had perfect attendance or something. He was actually John the baptizer. He was the guy who baptized people and that's where he got the name. But John is a bit of a wild man. I don't know how much you know about John. The Bible says that he clothed himself in camel hair and he had a leather belt and he lived outside the city in the wilderness. And um, the Bible says that he ate locust and wild honey. So he never had any allergies and his body fat was very low because I don't even know you can eat a locust. I didn't even know you could do that, you know, but he lived off of this and he was sort of a wild man. And the Bible says that, that while he was in his mother's womb, he was full of the Holy Spirit. So his whole life, he's been a man that God has called and used. And he's had this dramatic impact on the Jewish people. The Bible says he was a Nazarite. And that means among other things that he never cut his hair. Think about that for just a minute. He's a wild man. And people were flocking to the wilderness to find out what this guy was about. Is he the next Elijah? Is he a prophet? He's definitely unique. And so people were leaving Jerusalem and other cities to go out and find out what he was about. Well, here's what he was about. He was about preparing God's people for the Savior, for the Messiah that was coming. And he and Jesus were actually relatives. They, they were born, he was born about just a few months ahead of Jesus and his mother, and Jesus' mother visited each other, and uh, John, uh, John's mother was very old, didn't think she was ever going to have kids, and obviously Jesus' mother was very young, but they were relatives. And so uh, John has this amazing ministry, and he is sent by God to prepare his people for the Messiah, and his message is one of repentance. And basically his message was this, turn away from sin in your life. You're the people of God. Don't don't become entangled in sin. Does that sound familiar? Don't let sin mess up your life. Don't let it interrupt your communication, disrupt your growth. Don't let it corrupt your influence. Anytime you see sin in your life, turn away from it, reject it, abandon it. Take that very seriously. That was John's message. And then he baptized people as a sign to everyone 
that this person had repented. It was a form of public confession. If you got baptized by John the Baptist, you were saying, I'm repenting of my sin. All of it, any of it, every time it comes into my life, I'm repenting of it. I wanna be ready when the Messiah comes. So that was John's message. Well, when you fast forward here into John 3, what you see is that John has become very popular. He's well known, people know about him. And one day, his ministry's just grown exponentially. One day Jesus comes to where he's baptizing. And this is what he says in verse 29. He says, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John is proclaiming to his disciples, to the world around him, there he is. There's the Messiah, he's coming your way, he's here. And he's come to take away the entire sin of the world. So this morning, what I wanna do is, is starting in verse 22, is just share a private dialogue that he has then after that with some of his disciples. So why don't you stand with me out of reverence for God and his word. And I'm gonna read out of the Christian Standard Bible beginning in verse 22 of John 3. Through, the, uh, through, through verse 30. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salim because there was plenty of water there and people were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, Rabbi, the one you testified about <clears throat> who was with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him. John responded, no one can receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I'm not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Thank you. You can be seated this morning. So I love this because John has disciples. He is leading them. He is influencing them. And he takes this moment in this private conversation to say something very powerful to them and to us. He basically says, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. That's a good philosophy to live your life by. And, that, and what John was basically saying, if you could put it in modern day vernacular, would be this, guys, it's not about me. That's the story of John's life. I mean, John became very popular in his day. So I want us to look at those two phrases, he must increase and I must decrease, and think about some specific things. The first thing I think you could say that John would say about Jesus increasing is I think he would say, Jesus must increase in his rank. But what do I mean? Well, John, go back to John chapter one. He says this, this is the one I told you about. Verse 30, after me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. John could say with complete integrity, it's not about me, it's about Jesus because he outranks me. Now I hear a debate in our culture now, theologically, where people will say, well, this, this idea that you get saved when you're a certain age and then later in your life, maybe you come to the place where you make Jesus the Lord of your life. I've heard people say, that's really bogus. Jesus is the Lord of every person. Jesus is Lord of all. You can't make him the Lord of your life. He is the Lord. Well, I would say to that, yes. <laughs> yes, he is the Lord of all. And ultimately, 
Everyone will know that. The Bible says every knee will confess, will, every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. We'll look at that in a minute. But the reality is there is truth to the idea that sometimes in our lives, other people, including ourselves, outrank Jesus. Now, you have to understand in this day and time when we're talking about here that, you know, a lot of people didn't know much about Jesus. They didn't really know much about who he was. John knew. And John said, because he's the savior of the world, because he's the Messiah sent to save everyone from their sins, he outranks me. He existed before I did. So for John, it wasn't an issue. But sometimes in our lives, if you were to rank the people in your life who have the most influence in your life, it'd probably be your spouse and your kids and maybe your parents if they're still living. It'd be a few people, maybe closest friends, maybe a spiritual leader in there. Among those people, where does Jesus rank in your life today? I mean, is he up there at the top? Does he rank first? When you think about what Jesus said, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so he's saying basically no one outranks me, but, but John is telling his disciples, guys, it's not about me. I know you've attached yourself to me. I know you're following me. I know that you have come out to the wilderness to be with me because you sensed something special was going on. And certainly that's true, but I'm telling you guys, it's not about me. Jesus outranks me in every possible way. So when you think about in your own life, making an important decision about your kids or your future, your job, your marriage, your finances, your goals, where does Jesus rank in terms of influence in that decision? Do you even stop to ask him? Do you even stop to consider what he might want in that situation? Because if he ranks first, if he outranks you, then he will have first consideration about all those things. And honestly, that's the best way to live your life. Pastor Steve last week was here and he shared from Philippians 2. This is what Philippians 2 says about Jesus and his rank. It says, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Heaven ranks Jesus highest. In fact, he says there's no one above him, no name above his name. And John understood that. That's why John could say, my life, my ministry, all this crazy stuff I'm doing out here, it's not about me. I've been sent by God with a purpose and I've been sent by the one who outranks me and his name is Jesus Christ. So I think John would say to us this morning, he must increase in rank. For some of you, that would be a life-changing decision to say, I'm going I'm to I'm let him outrank me in terms of the very practical decisions that I make every day. But not only should he increase in his rank, I think John would say Jesus to his disciples, he would say, guys, Jesus has to increase in his reputation as well. Think about what people even knew about Jesus at this point in his ministry. He was just starting his ministry. What people knew about him is that he was Mary and Joseph's son, that he was from Nazareth, and that he was a carpenter. And that's about it. They didn't know what John knew, that he was the savior of the world, sent to take away the sins of the world. They didn't know that about him. In fact, at this point in history, John has more popularity than Jesus. More people know who John is than know who Jesus is. I mean, lots of people are flocking to the countryside to see this crazy wild man named John and to hear what he has to say, including the religious leaders, including the Pharisees. They're, they're hiking from Jerusalem out to see this guy and see what he might say. I mean, can you imagine what John even looked like? 
Because he was a Nazarite and never cut his hair, the Bible says he, didn't, he never did that, that at age 30, which is about how old he would be, if your hair grows six inches a year, his hair is about 15 feet long at this point. Maybe, unless he had split ends, I don't know. Maybe it broke off, I don't know. But he had a head of hair on him and then facial hair too. He didn't cut his hair. So can you imagine what he looked like? And so yes, he spoke directly to the Pharisees. He called them a brood of vipers. I mean, he wasn't intimidated. He wasn't scared about his role and his mission at all. And yet he's more popular. He has a greater reputation at this point in the story than Jesus does. I think you could say the same thing's true about our culture. <clears throat> I mean, really, even his disciples didn't understand who Jesus is. What did they say? They said, well, you know, uh, everybody's going to him. You know the guy we're talking about, the guy that was with you, that you baptized on the other side of the Jordan, that guy. They don't even say Jesus' name, which kind of is a telling thing. They're kind of saying, you know, he's just a guy, just another guy you baptized. They don't get it. And John says, his reputation has to increase. My reputation has to decrease. That's what's going on here. So let me ask you this question. That's John's heart. Is that your heart? Do you want to make Jesus famous? Are you more concerned with making him famous in this world at this time? Or are you more concerned with you getting famous? It's a fair question. I love the song by Casting Crowns called Only Jesus. You're probably familiar with this song. A lot of times we talk about leaving a legacy. What are we gonna, how are people gonna think of us when we're gone? What are they gonna know about us? And the first time I ever heard that song, it sort of was in my face and I thought, I gotta think about that. Cause listen to what the words say. Mark Hall wrote this and it says, I don't wanna leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. And I, I've only got one life to live. I'll let every second point to him, only Jesus. All the kingdoms built, all the trophies won, will crumble into the dust when it's said and done because all that really mattered, did I live the truth to the ones I love? Was my life the proof that there's only one whose name will last forever? I think today our time is a lot like Jesus's time. I think people that are in your circles of influence, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your relatives, maybe your extended family, I don't think people really know who Jesus is. I think we're kind of post-Jesus in some ways in our culture. Don't you agree with that? I mean, what do, you, what do the people in your circles of influence think about Jesus? Do you know? Do they think he's the Messiah? Do they think he outranks them? They don't live like that, do they? People don't really know who Jesus is. And so what Jesus does in John's life and in our life is he, he uses the attention that's turned on us to be shot back to him, to be reflected back to him in order for his reputation to be carried forth. What do people know about Jesus because of their interaction with you? Like people that interact with you at work or people in your neighborhood that interact with you, what do they know about Jesus? Are you giving Jesus a good reputation? Do they know more about Jesus? Are they drawn more into who Jesus is because they interacted with you? Or is there this huge divide because of the way you treated them and the way Jesus would treat them? So I think it's important that we think about the reputation of Jesus because John would say, and he does say, it's not about me. I'm not here for my reputation. I don't care. I think he would agree with Mark Hall's song. I don't care about my reputation. I don't care about my legacy. I'm here for him. I'm here for his legacy. I'm here for his reputation. So I think John would say he's got to increase 
in terms of his rank and he's got to increase in terms of his reputation. And the third thing I think John would say is he's got to increase in terms of my regard for him, my love for him. When you regard someone, you place great value on them. You highly esteem them. And I think so many times, even in modern Christianity, people have a relationship with the church or they have a relationship with Christianity, but I don't know if they would describe what they have as a personal relationship with Jesus, the actual Jesus. (laughs) How would you describe what you have? Is it truly a relationship? Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because when you have a relationship with anybody, as you get to know them, your love for them naturally grows, doesn't it? Yeah. Your regard for them, your respect for them naturally grows. So from the time that you got saved until now, has that been true in your life? I mean, John would say, guys, your regard for the Lord, you don't even know him. Your regard needs to grow. You need to understand who he is, and then you'll submit your life to him. Then he'll outrank you in your life. Then you'll be able to lead people to understand who he is and he'll have a reputation he's supposed to have. Because I think what he would say is, I don't mind taking a back seat to Jesus. That's what John said. I don't mind. It reminds me of the, uh, the website that was started way back in 2008 <clears throat> called I Am Second. You've seen that around. People wear the bracelets, I'm Second. Norm Miller, the founder and CEO of Interstate Batteries, started that as an outreach to the world to interview famous people, people who are either athletes or musicians or whoever, who have a chance to talk about that in their life, they're not first. That Jesus actually outranks them and they're open about that. So they share these little short videos and over 120 million hits to their website since 2008 that they've counted. Over 230 countries, people from 230 different countries have viewed those videos to point people to Jesus, to say that, that, that these people hide, hold Jesus in high regard, that they love him. You know, G- Jesus said this about loving him. He says it's the most important commandment. He said the most important commandment is you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's what he said. And if you read Revelation, the first couple of chapters, there's a letter to the church at Ephesus. says they did a lot of things well, but he says, this I have against you, you have left your first love. So what Jesus was saying is, it doesn't matter about all the great stuff you do if your heart is not in it. If you don't love me more than you used to love me, if, if you love me less, there's something wrong with your relationship because it's a real relationship. And if you don't know how to have a relationship with God, I'm gonna help you understand that by the time we get done here today, okay? It's very, very important. It's a gift that you can receive. It's the most wonderful gift you'll ever receive. So John's leading his disciples to see that it's truly not about him. He's saying Jesus has to increase in rank, in reputation, and obviously in regard and in love. And then I think he would say there's some things that need to decrease. I need to decrease. That's what John would say. And I think the first thing that goes along with that is he would say insecurity in my life needs to decrease. This is what his disciples said. They're so transparent. They come to him and they're like, John, everybody's going to him. I mean, John, come on. He's gaining more popularity than you are. If more people are going to him, they're going to stop coming to us. See, these guys had attached themselves to Jesus. I mean, I'm sorry, to John. And they're thinking, well, John's somebody in the kingdom of God. So if we're attached to him, we're going to be somebody in the kingdom of God too. It's kind of like James and John wanting to sit on Jesus' right and left, right? And John says, it's not about me, guys. It is so not about me. And, and, and so they're insecure. They operate out of this sense of insecurity. And it's so obvious that they're losing their status and they're afraid of that. You ever done anything motivated by insecurity in your life? 
You know the thing about insecurity is you almost always do the wrong thing when you're insecure, right? In relationships, in actions you take with people. If, you're, if you come from a place of insecurity, you almost always do the wrong thing. And, and what John is saying is, guys, it's okay. It's okay because I know that I've been sent here by God. I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and Jesus is sent here to do what he's saying. And then John says this amazing thing. He says, I'm a friend of the groom. Don't you get it? I'm the best man. <laughs> Jesus is the groom, church is the bride, and I'm a friend of the groom. I don't know if you've had a chance to be men, a best man in some, best man in somebody's wedding. I've been, got to do it a couple, three times in my life. And uh, I can just tell you when you're the best man the weekend of the wedding, you're not insecure about anything. You know it's not about you. You're not getting married, right? But you're the best man. You got chosen to be the best man. That's what John's saying. He's saying, this is not about me, but I'm the best man. So yes, I'm gonna rejoice when the groom is thrilled. Yes, that makes my joy complete. That's what it's all about. I don't, I'm not insecure about Jesus and what Jesus came here to do. And yes, my role is going to diminish. And yes, I'm not going to be as popular. It's okay with me because it's all about him. I need to decrease in my insecurity. He rejoices greatly. He says, my joy will be complete. John gets that his life and ministry are not about him. When you understand your calling from the Lord, you don't have to operate in insecurity. If you see somebody else over here doing something for the Lord, you don't have to go, oh, wait a minute, they're going to get more attention than I am. That's insecurity, right? Oh, they're going to be more popular in the church than I am. That's insecurity. People are going to think more than they think of me. I've just got this little role over here behind the scenes. Nobody ever knows all the good stuff I do. And this person's up front doing all this great stuff. All that is insecurity and nowhere in John's heart and life because he's saying, I'm not motivated by that. So John is saying, you got to decrease your insecurity. The second thing I think he would say is you got to decrease your inferiority. He says this. He says, I've been sent ahead of him. So John knows his role. He knows exactly what he's supposed to do, and he knows he's not Jesus. He said, guys, I told you from the beginning, I'm not the Messiah. Don't worship me. It's not about me. I've been sent. I have a mission. I have a purpose. God's given me that. So yeah, if my popularity is going down, I am undiminished by that as a person. I'm not less important because I have a role to fill. God's given me a role to fill, and I've been faithful to do that. John, John demonstrates that inferiority, is, there's no place for that in the Christian life. He knows that Jesus outranks him, and so he fully embraces his role as a proclaimer. Now, here's the thing, guys. We have something in common with John. John was sent ahead of Jesus to proclaim Jesus so that when Jesus came, people would be ready for him. We have a very similar role with the people in our lives who don't know the Lord. We are proclaimers. You say, not me. And that's true. Man, I mean, there's lots of people in this church, there's probably lots of people in this room who've never told anybody about Jesus Christ. Why? Because you struggle with inferiority. You think somehow that people that don't know Jesus are more important than you, and nothing could be further from the truth. God gives every one of us as his followers a very important role in the lives of the people he places us in, but he expects us to do what John did, and that's proclaim him. Tell people who he is. Oh, no, no, they might ask me a question that I can't answer. They might make me look foolish. I don't know if I can, I'm not good at talking in front of people. I, 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 me, 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 me. It's all about me, right? Not for John, not for John. And so I think so many times 
We're uncomfortable when the attention is turned on us. I get that. I never would have chosen to do what I do up here, honestly. If, if God had just left me alone, I'd have been the guy in the back row back there, never speak up, never stand up in front of a crowd of people and have all their eyeballs looking at me. I promise you that. But God doesn't leave us alone. He doesn't let us choose that. We do what he wants us to do. And he takes us on a, on a, on a stretching journey in our life. He helps us to grow. The reality is that for John, yes, all that weirdness, his clothes, his hair, all that stuff, he drew attention to himself, but it never landed on him. He always sent it to Jesus. Not about me. He would say, look, I'm not inferior. I know that the attention is going to be turned on me, and then I'm going to turn it on to Jesus. I know my role. I think so many of us are uncomfortable having attention turned on us. I know we got some students in here this morning. You guys are in junior high and high school, and you're maybe on the team or you're on the drill team or the cheerleading squad or you're on some other team or you're doing math and science or whatever, and oftentimes you, I don't know if you still do this or not, but with COVID, but you get on a bus and you travel together or whatever, and you come back and you're in the locker room together, you're in the classroom together, and sometimes conversations come up, and because you know Jesus, you have an opportunity to proclaim him to people that'll listen to you. And in that moment, yes, all the eyeballs in that classroom are probably turned on you. You have the attention at that moment. You're not inferior. You speak for the God of the universe. You speak for the name that's above every name. There's no rival, we just sing about that. You have that opportunity, God gives you that. So when the attention is turned on you, you turn that attention to Jesus. It's not just true for students. Man, those of us, our coworkers, other relationships that we have, we have the opportunity to take, when the attention is turned on us, to take that and focus it completely onto Jesus because he's given us that role. Now, I wanna tell you about an opportunity. Doesn't do any good to talk about this if I don't give you an opportunity to do something about it, right? So next Sunday afternoon, we're going to do this thing we've done several times before called Care Through Prayer. Every one of you probably know how to pray if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> it's not complicated, right? You just talk to God. <laughs> it's a conversation. But there are many, many people in our community who don't ever pray and don't know how to pray, wouldn't know the first thing about how to approach God. So what we're going to do is we're going to gather at Elevation, our youth building over here at 430. It's not just a youth thing. It's for everybody. So come with your family. I, I guarantee the Cowboys are going to lose next Sunday, so don't worry about it, okay? Trust me, they've already disappointed me, so I've given up already, okay? And so 4.30 next Sunday, we're going to gather over there. We're going to get some gift cards, and we're just going to go out in our community, and we're going to give out those gift cards and just ask people if we can pray for them. That's simple. And if the Holy Spirit turns that into a conversation about Jesus, great. If he doesn't, great. But I promise you this that God is going to already be working in the lives of people next Sunday afternoon in our city. What he needs is proclaimers. What he needs is people like John the Baptist who will stand up and say, it's not about me. It's not about whether I do a great job or I stumble through it or I don't do that great. I'm not inferior. I know I'm called by God to be a proclaimer. I'm going to trust him with the results. So I would love for you to take advantage of that because it's just that simple. You just pray and see where the Lord leads it. And you won't be by yourself. Somebody will be there with you as well. But what a great way to say, you know what? The church has to represent Jesus. We talk about all the craziness that's going on. And we don't war against flesh and blood. Remember that, folks. We do not. There are spiritual battles going on in our country right now. But nothing is going to fix any of that but Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can fix all that mess. A president's not going to fix that, y'all. Jesus is the only one that can fix that. What our culture needs in this city and every other city across our country is they need Jesus. And we know Jesus. So we get to go proclaim him. So let me encourage you. 
as John would, to decrease in your inferiority. Don't see yourself as, well, I don't have all the answers. I've never been to seminary. I don't even, I've not even read through the whole Bible before. I don't even know if I can answer all. Enough of that. God's called you to be a proclaimer just like he called John. And I think one of the things John would say to us today is decrease your inferiority. See yourself as the important proclaimer that you are in the culture that you live in. And then last this morning, the thing I think John would say to us if he was standing right here with us is that we should increase intimidation in our life. See, I think you're intimidated by someone when you feel threatened by them. And I think John's disciples totally felt threatened by Jesus. They didn't even know who he was. So yeah, they felt like, well, we're losing our place, you're losing your place. Wow, all this stuff is gonna be what good for what? And it's not about me, John said. It's about Jesus. This is what I was supposed to do all along. I'm not intimidated by Jesus. I know my role is changing. I know my role is coming to an end. But look at what he says. He says in verse 27, no one can receive anything unless it's been given to him from heaven. Isn't that a beautiful thought? He's like, I'm doing what I do because God called me to do it. It's a gift from heaven. And if you're doing what you're supposed to do, more power to you. I'm not threatened by you. I'm not intimidated by you or anybody else because I'm focused on what God wants me to do. And that's what each of us should be focused on. And John was saying to his disciples, guys, you got this all wrong. It was never about me being so important that everyone would bow down to me. It was never about that. It was always about Jesus. God sent me here to proclaim Jesus to the world. That's what I'm here for. I think it's real easy, and I've seen it in every church that I've ever served in. It's sad, but I've seen it in every church. It's real easy for Christians sometimes to become part of a church, and after a period of time of being in a church for a length of time, they gain some popularity in the church and maybe some more influence. And at some point, church becomes about them. And so when change comes, and change will always come to church. If you're in a church that never changes, it ain't this one, okay? You're, you're not going to be in a healthy church. We don't change our, our mission. We don't change our values. We don't change our basic beliefs in Scripture and all those things. But we change our strategy a lot. And we have changed our strategy here over the years a lot. But if, you're, if church is all about you and you feel like John's disciples that you feel threatened when change comes and you decide to dig in and maybe even fight, that's not what God wants for us. Now, we're going to get a new pastor in the next few months at some point. Praise God for that. And I promise you, I don't have a crystal ball, but I promise you, he's going to change some things. I guarantee it. I would totally expect that. I'm just setting it up for you. You should expect that too. I have no idea what, because I don't know who he is, but I guarantee he's going to change something. And he's going to do that because he feels like God wants him to do that. And what is your attitude going to be about that? Because it may affect what you do for the Lord. You may not even be doing now what you're going to be doing then. God may start something and call you out to go be a part of it. And you go, oh, that's intimidating to me. No, don't be intimidated by it. Answer the call of God in your life and do what he wants you to do. And don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Don't make it about you. That's what I love about John. I love this passage because I think it's so easy in church for it to become about us. It's a very subtle slide. So this morning I want to challenge you. Don't, if that's where you're struggling, let me go back and say what John said at the very beginning of his ministry, and that is repent. If you recognize that I've kind of hit some buttons in your life this morning, the Holy Spirit has, and you go, that's kind of been about me. I come when I want, I leave when I want, I sit where I want, I park where I want. It's kind of all about me. I give when I want, I don't give when I want, whatever. It's all about me. But you realize that's not what it's supposed to be about. And that is not what honors the Lord. And you want to change that this morning. The beautiful thing is you can. You can totally just reject that and abandon that and come back to the Lord with your whole heart. 
the Bible says, for those of us who know him as Savior, that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you could repent this morning right where you are. You could just come back in your heart and say, I'm not sure how to do this, God. It's been about me for a long time, but I want it to be about you. I want to make you famous. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to be faithful to you. I don't want it to be about me. He'll honor that in your life. He will. He'll begin to change that in your life. And you'll see great things happen. But the reality is, I told you this a minute ago, for those of you who are here and watching online, <clears throat> that many of you would have to say that what you have with God is not really a relationship. You are here and you're listening and that's exciting that you're here and you're seeking at some level, but maybe you don't really even know Jesus. You don't really even know God. You'd like to, you can, you can start, but here's how you start. You start by putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your savior because he is the only one, the only one. There's no other religion. There's no other philosophy that can guarantee you a relationship with God. I just said a mouthful. I don't know if you heard that. There's only one way according to Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That doesn't mean there's five ways to get there or six or four or three. He said, I am the way. That's it. That's what we believe. That's what we preach because that's what he said. And he said, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Any man comes to me, he wants to come to the Father, he has to come through me. And so this morning, I want to give you a chance to do that. So I'm going to ask everybody just to bow your head and close your eyes and block out the distractions around you. Those of you who are watching online, this is for you as well. You've never asked Christ to come into your life. The Bible says that uh, he's the savior of the world. We talked about that. John said he came to forgive all the sins of the world. And so he came to forgive your sin. But it's a gift. You can't earn it. You could never be good enough to deserve it. Me either. It's a gift. He wants to give you the gift of eternal life this morning. All you have to do, like any gift, is receive it. And the way that you receive it most clearly is just to call upon his name and ask him to come into your life and save you. The Bible says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so right where you're sitting this morning or watching online, I'd like to lead you through a time of just calling on the name of the Lord. It's very simple. Just say this to the Lord this morning. He knows your heart. Just say, dear God in heaven, <clears throat> I know that you sent Jesus Christ to be the Savior. And I believe in him. I believe he lived and died and rose again. And I believe he's the only way. And so I turn away from my sin. I reject it. And I want Jesus. I want to have a real relationship with you that lasts forever. Would you come into my life now and save me? I believe you can and I believe you will. Thank you for dying for me and thank you for loving me. I want to love you back. Help me with that. Please, God. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.